0: Welcome to NTD Evening News. Our top story tonight, former President Trump and Nikki Haley making their final pitch to voters. Just hours before the South Carolina primary, how's the race looking and what are Trump allies telling us about their predictions? Iris Tau on the ground. In Georgia, former President Trump's team pushes to disqualify the prosecution by submitting phone records that conflict with the top prosecutor's testimony. Our legal correspondent has the latest in that case and another Trump trial. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu rolling out his first post-war blueprint for the Gaza Strip, his vision of the region's future without Hamas. SENATE MAJORITY LEADER CHUCK SCHUMER AND OTHER SENATE DEMOCRATS VISIT UKRAINE ON THE EVE OF THE SECOND ANNIVERSARY OF THE WAR. LUIS MARTINEZ HAS THE UPDATE. AND RUSSIA BOMBARDS UKRAINE OVERNIGHT WITH ATTACK DRONES. MEANWHILE, RUSSIA SAYS IT MADE ITS LARGEST GAINS IN THE WAR IN NINE MONTHS. JASON PERRY REPORTS. <laughs>
1: This is NTD Evening News. Live from our NTD Global Headquarters in New York City, here is Tiffany Meyer.
0: Good evening and thank you for joining us tonight. We have the latest updates on the situation with in vitro fertilization treatments in Alabama. State lawmakers are taking action after the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that frozen embryos are children, whether they're within or out of a uterus.
2: Uh, but I will tell you what my legislation will do, it will eliminate the lawsuits uh, the civil litigation that the doctor that uh, doctors across the state and IVF clinics uh, are fearful of right now. My bill would also define a fertilized embryo unless it is entering the uterus uh, as not being a child. And so there's clarity there. It pa- It essentially pauses the Supreme Court decision
0: the recent court decision means those who discard unwanted embryos are at risk of being held liable for wrongful death. Some embryo shipping services said they'll stop shipping embryos to and from the state. At least three Alabama clinics have paused certain IVF treatment programs for fear of legal risks. Today, Alabama's attorney general said there's no intention to use the court decision to prosecute IVF families or providers. Former President Trump also weighing in. He posted on Truth Social saying, I strongly support the availability of IVF. Trump is calling on Alabama lawmakers to quickly find a way to preserve the treatment. In Georgia, former President Trump's legal team submitted a report today that appears to contradict testimonies from Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis and her special prosecutor Nathan Wade. Our legal correspondent Arlene Richards has that story and more of the latest on the Trump
3: trials. Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade allegedly visited Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis at her condo at least 35 times before she hired him to work on former President Donald Trump's criminal case. That's according to an investigative report filed by Trump's attorneys on Friday. The report, prepared by a criminal defense investigator, provides a detailed analysis of Wade's voice calls and text messages from January 1st to November 30, 2021. Wade testified that he visited Willis about 10 times for professional reasons.
2: So if phone records were to reflect that you were making phone calls from the same location as the condo before November uh, 1st of 2021 and it was on multiple occasions, the phone records would be wrong? If phone records reflected that, yes, sir. they'd They'd be wrong. They'd be wrong.
3: The new report raises questions about whether or not Wade's testimony is true. Defense attorneys allege that the prosecutors began seeing each other romantically before November 1, 2021, when Willis hired Wade to serve as special counsel. The defense needs to show a relationship existed before Wade was hired in order to prove there is a conflict of interest. Willis and Wade both testified that their relationship began in 2022. Willis's former friend Robin Yerdy said their relationship began in 2019. WADE'S FORMER BUSINESS PARTNER AND DIVORCE ATTORNEY KNOWS WHEN THE RELATIONSHIP BEGAN, BUT HE'S CLAIMING ATTORNEY-CLIENT PRIVILEGE. JUDGE SCOTT McAfee WILL MEET PRIVATELY WITH BRADLEY ON MONDAY TO SORT OUT HIS TESTIMONY, UNLESS HE GRANTS WADE'S REQUEST TO BLOCK THE MEETING. And finally, on Friday, March 1st, attorneys will make their closing arguments. Judge McAfee will later make a final ruling on whether the two prosecutors should be disqualified from the Georgia election case. In Florida, Trump's attorneys are asking a federal judge to dismiss the classified documents case for several reasons, including that special counsel Jack Smith lacks authority to prosecute. They're asking Judge Eileen Cannon to remove 15 boxes of documents from the case on account of prosecutorial misconduct. Trump is also claiming presidential immunity. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Israeli Prime Minister
0: Benjamin Netanyahu unveiling his first post-war agenda for the Gaza Strip. The one-paged document, titled The Day After Hamas, says reconstruction of the enclave can only take place if it's demilitarized, and Israel will maintain security control over all lands west of Jordan. That includes both Gaza and the West Bank. The plan was broken up into immediate, intermediate and long term. Netanyahu says the immediate goal is to completely dismantle Hamas's military capabilities, return all hostages and eliminate any security threat from Gaza for good. To prevent future terror activities, the document says the IDF will continue to operate throughout the enclave. That's an intermediate objective. The plan also calls for the creation of a buffer zone in the border area and allows a local organization that isn't tied to any terrorist group to govern the region. In the long-term goals listed, Netanyahu rejects the unilateral recognition of a Palestinian state and said the future of Gaza should be achieved through direct negotiations. The new blueprint was presented to Israel's security cabinet and is still subject to amendments. In Ukraine right now, it's already past midnight, February 24th Ukraine time, marking the second anniversary of the start of the Russian invasion. Two years later, much has changed, and much remains the same. Our Washington correspondent Louise Martinez has more on this story.
4: Today, the Biden administration has announced sanctions against Russian entities, and a Russian drone strike has killed at least three people in the Ukrainian port city of Odessa. Today's headlines are not dissimilar from those of February 2022 or late February 2023, but the outlook of the war has dramatically shifted. On Monday, Russian forces captured the Ukrainian city of Avdivka, the second city to fall within the last seven months after the fall of Bakhmut. Ukrainian forces have been slowly losing ground. On Friday, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer traveled to Ukraine with a delegation of Democratic senators. He told Ukrainian officials that the American people stand with Ukraine and will keep fighting to get Ukraine the funding it needs for the war effort. The visit of Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is the highest congressional visit to Ukraine since Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi visited over two years ago. But since then, much has changed in Washington. On Friday, the Biden administration announced new sanctions targeting more than 500 individuals and entities in Russia. This is in addition to the more than 16,000 sanctions from other countries since the start of the war. We're
1: also taking action against three individuals specifically in connection with the death of Alexei Navalny. uh, The prison warden, the regional prison head, the deputy director of the Federal Penitentiary Service.
4: And President Biden urged Congress to pass a foreign aid package that includes $60 billion for Ukraine.
5: The House of Representatives must pass the bipartisan national security bill. The bill provides urgent funding for Ukraine, and it passed overwhelmingly in the Senate. Despite
4: two years of sanctions against Russia and more than $75 billion in aid to Ukraine, the conflict continues. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Luis Eduardo Martinez, NTD News.
0: Residents in Ukraine scrambled for their lives after Russia bombarded the country overnight with attack drones. This comes as Russia made its largest gain in the war in nine months. NTD's Jason Perry has the update on the war in Ukraine. On Friday, emergency crews in Dnipro, Ukraine, responded to the aftermath
2: of a Russian airstrike on this building. Eight people were injured in the attack, according to the regional military administration. A local official said the building was
1: hit by attack drones. Two apartments on the ninth floor were destroyed, one on the eighth floor, and partially on the seventh floor. There are people under the rubble, one or two. The search operation is underway.
2: Also on Friday, Ukrainian firefighters helped put out a fire in Odessa after Russian attack drones hit a commercial area. According to the regional governor, the strike killed three people. Ukraine's military said Russia launched 31 drones at Ukraine overnight, and Ukraine's air defenses destroyed 23 of them. However, these Ukrainian soldiers on the battlefield said they can see the Russian targets, but they can't hit them.
1: We often look at the video feeds of our drone pilots. They show us pictures from the front lines. A lot of Russians try to attack our positions. If we had more ammunition, WE COULD STOP THEM, BUT SINCE WE LACK AMMUNITION, WE HAVE NOTHING TO WORK WITH.
2: THIS COMES AS U.S. MILITARY AID TO UKRAINE HAS DRIED UP IN THE PAST FEW MONTHS. AND JUST A WEEK AGO, UKRAINE WITHDREW ITS FORCES FROM Avdiivka, A STRATEGIC CITY IN EASTERN UKRAINE. AND SOON AFTER, RUSSIA REPORTED TAKING OVER THE CITY AND WHAT WAS RUSSIA'S LARGEST GAIN IN THE WAR IN NINE MONTHS, GIVING RUSSIA MORE CONTROL OF THE DONBAS REGION IN EASTERN Ukraine. RUSSIA SAYS THEY ARE NOW CLEARING THE AREA IN Avdivka AND APPARENTLY FINDING ARMS AND AMMUNITION THE UKRAINIANS LEFT BEHIND.
6: THE RATE AT WHICH uh, UKRAINE CAN FIRE ARTILLERY IS NOW DROPPING SIGNIFICANTLY AGAINST THEIR RUSSIAN ADVERSARIES. NOW THEY ARE MAYBE FIVE TO SEVEN TO EVEN TEN TIMES uh, REDUCED COMPARED TO THE RUSSIANS. SO THE RUSSIANS CAN OUTGUN THEM. AND SIMPLY THE WAY that THIS WAR IS GOING AT THE MOMENT, THE RUSSIANS JUST bludgeon THROUGH They will throw people at it. They will shell the hell out of everything. They're taking massive losses, but they don't care.
2: But hope could soon be on the way for Ukraine, as Ukrainian pilots have been training in different countries to fly the F-16 fighter jet. Denmark expects to make its first delivery of F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine this summer, which could shift the balance of power in the war. Jason Perry, NTD News.
0: Back in the states, thousands gather as former President Trump holds his final rally before the South Carolina primary, and Nikki Haley seeks to appeal to independent voters in a new message today. NTD's Iris Tau joins us live from Rock Hill, South Carolina. Iris, what's happening there today?
7: Being too so it was a huge crowd here, thousands of Trump supporters packed the stadium in uh, Rock Hill, South Carolina, as tomorrow, this time, they will be casting their ballots here in South Carolina. And Trump, who's leading Nikki Haley by double digits here in her home state, says today that he wants to win by a margin that no one has seen before. He's also saying this about Nikki Haley. Watch.
1: She's working for Democrat donors, and all she's trying to do is Inflict pain on us so they can win in November. She's not really attacking me, she's really attacking the Republican Party, and that's not a good thing to do. So, a vote for Nikki Haley tomorrow is a vote for Joe Biden this November. That's all you're doing is you're voting.
7: And Nikki Haley's campaign acknowledged today that it will be an uphill battle for Haley here, but Haley, as we know, who vowed to stay in the race even beyond Super Tuesday is still continuing to campaign here in South Carolina. And meanwhile, the Super PAC supporting Nikki Haley today released a new ad emphasizing a message that read, quote, all South Carolinians can vote to end the chaos on February 24th. And some critics are saying that it shows that Haley is proactively seeking votes from Democrats and that is not doing any good to the Republican Party. Here's what Trump's allies told us at this rally about the race tomorrow. Watch. Tomorrow night, starting Sunday morning, the entire party needs to coalesce behind Donald Trump.
2: We need all this to end so we can be focused on November. If you're about to go play for the Super Bowl, you need everybody on the team to be focused on the game, uh, not focused on their own their own side issues.
7: kay Haley is counting on Democrats to turn out and vote for her in the open primary here in South Carolina. South Carolina has an open primary, and that means that any registered voters can vote in the primary here unless they have voted already in the Democratic primary here weeks ago. Meanwhile, South Carolina actually is more predictable because, first, it has a lot more active Republican voters than Democratic ones, and is also not having New Hampshire's pattern where uh, independent voters will swing back and forth. So things should be a lot more predictable here. Back to you.
0: Iris, thank you for that update. Coming up, the South Carolina GOP primary is just 24 hours away. Will former President Trump beat Nikki Haley in her home state? A look at the latest poll numbers with Dave Martin. And the former UN ambassador has vowed to stay in the race regardless of Saturday's outcome. But our guest says we're unlikely to see a surprising result. Hear his take on Haley's campaign. Former President Trump getting a lot of attention at CPAC today. That's despite the fact he wasn't even at the conference. Arian Pasdar brings us what the speaker said about the former president after the break. Welcome back with South Carolina's GOP primary just 24 hours away. Here to give us a taste of what's going on, we're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Now Dave, Nikki Haley recently announced she's not dropping out of this race. How are things looking for her in her home state?
1: Well, not so good. I mean, polls have shown that she's been trailing Trump by anywhere from 25 to 35 points. I mean, look at this poll, this aggregate poll here by 538.com. South Carolina primary poll, Donald Trump 64%, Nikki Haley 33%. That's a huge margin, 30, 31 points. This is in her home state, of course. He's practically doubling her. Now, besides that, some of the biggest names in the state, they've thrown their support behind Donald Trump. We're talking about Senators Lindsey Graham, as well as, well as Tim Scott, and even the governor there. Uh, Henry McMaster's. Now that's significant also because McMaster and Scott were both appointed to political office by Nikki Haley while she was the governor. But that seems really to be the way things have gone for Haley. She's failed to gain that Republican support. That's going to have to change if she's going to have a chance here.
0: Now South Carolina does have an open primary. This is even more so than New Hampshire. Could that actually help Nikki Haley?
1: You know it could. It doesn't really look like it. New Hampshire seems like it was more of an outlier. You know, she exceeded expectations there, that's mainly because she got a lot of the independent votes, roughly two-thirds of the independent votes. But polls in South Carolina, it's more of a dead heat between her and Trump as far as independence, and really the United States as a whole. Now should some Democrats decide to come and crash the GOP primary, they actually can. You know, Like you said, this is an open primary, which means anyone from any party can come in and vote for any candidate here as long as they haven't already voted in the Democratic primary, which was earlier this month. And really, very few did. Take a look at this here. South Carolina Democratic primary turnout 2024, just 4% showed up. That's compared to 2020 when 16% or four times as many showed up. So technically, 96% of South Carolina voters can actually come in and vote in this primary. And that includes plenty of Democrats, as I just said. Whether that happens or not and who they decide to vote for is something we'll definitely be following.
0: Well, 4%, that seems quite low. What are some possible explanations for that number? You
1: know, for one thing, you've got a sitting president. Joe Biden, he really doesn't have any known competition in the Democratic race right now. I mean, you had RFK Jr., but he's now declared as an independent. But it's also maybe a sign that Biden really hasn't energized his base. I mean, he he trails Trump in most national polls. Meanwhile, surveys have shown that Trump supporters have a lot more voter enthusiasm for him than Biden's do, which means they really want to get out and vote. Now, another thing to mention is that the GOP early voting in this primary started last week. As of Tuesday, already 129,000 votes had been cast. That's compared to 132,000 in total were cast for this Democratic primary. And we haven't got to Saturday yet where the majority of the votes are gonna be cast. So I think that that shows that there's a really a lot of interest in this race already.
0: Well, Dave, with the data have, thank you so much for breaking that down.
1: Thanks for having me, Tiff.
0: And for more discussion on tomorrow's primary, we have Democratic strategist Robin Biro. He was a regional campaign director for President Barack Obama. Robin Biro, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show
8: always a pleasure thank you
0: now trump and nikki haley are going head to head tomorrow in south carolina which is nikki haley's home state now polls are showing trump with a dominating lead what do you see happening tomorrow is there a chance of nikki haley having a surprise victory
8: i don't believe so i I mean polls can always be wrong but 30 points wrong i don't think so uh but let me explain uh nikki haley Uh, I grew up in South Carolina. She was my governor for a number of years. She is absolutely packing out these rallies, her beast of the Southeast rallies. uh, And she's got a huge stockpile of money, something like $24 million the last time I checked. Uh, To Trump's, let me look, let me look, $33.2 million. So she's really giving him a run for the money. Um, She's got the cash, but I, I think South Carolina is Trump country.
0: And Nikki Haley has vowed to stay in the race no matter what happens in South Carolina. What do you see as next for her?
8: Well, she definitely has a political future ahead of her. She's always been a a sort of a a bright star in the Republican Party. Uh, She's not going anywhere, especially with her abilities to raise money. Uh, I anticipate, I I think... If you read that he leaves, she already said that she would, if she were elected president, that she would pardon President Trump, should he be convicted of any of those felonies, 91 felonies. Uh, I think she's kind of jockeying for VP, although they've said no, he said no, he said no. I think she honestly is jockeying for a VP role.
0: Hmm. On that note, there have been growing calls for her to either drop out of the race But or, you know, as VP, even though Trump is saying that he would not pick her as vice president, Super Tuesday is also coming up. If she doesn't do well in Super Tuesday, do you see Nikki Haley dropping out?
8: I see her dropping out. I can answer that question really easily. Uh, Ron DeSantis uh, raised one hundred and sixty million dollars. He had to drop out of the race when the money ran out. Nikki Haley would absolutely have to do the same thing when the money runs out out. Uh, the campaign is over. That's just the name of the game.
0: And now on the one of your earlier points, you mentioned if she would endorse Trump. Expand on that for us. Why would she?
8: Why is forcing her uh, endorsing Trump? Uh, because it, it would be politically expeditious for her to do so. Uh, the Republican Party is very much still the party of, of Trump. Uh, they haven't moved past Trump. I think it would be in her political best interest uh, to, to endorse. Now, there is at this wild speculation that just came, came out yesterday. I can't remember his name, a dean, dean, one of the Democratic candidates that's running that you never hear of, never see. Uh, he is exploring the possibility, he's reached out to the Haley campaign to possibly run a bipartisan ticket, a unity ticket, he's calling it, uh, which I find very fascinating. I don't think that would happen, but I think it's an interesting concept.
0: On that note, actually, you've said on Twitter or X, as we call it now, that Nikki Haley would endorse Trump for the sake of unity. Given how divided the nation is now, how do you see either party getting back to that unity?
8: Goodness gracious. I wish I had an easy answer to that Uh, in the short segment that we... In the short amount of time that we have, I honestly don't know, uh, but it's going to require more conversations like you and I are having with people in their homes, uh, just, you know, people reaching out across the aisle to discuss their ideas, uh, you know, how to move forward. It's going to require our, our men and women in Congress to actually do something in some sort of a bipartisan manner. I mean, look at the uh, the border bill. Uh, if they could just work together to get something done, you wonder, you know, you've got to wonder. Congress has historic low approval rates. I think it's in the teens right now. I think it's about 13% approval ratings. That's because they don't get anything. They don't work together to get anything done. And the Americans are sick of it. That's why we always want to clean up with every election. <laughs> so, you know, that's what it's going to take, is, is maybe our politicians in Washington working across the aisle getting some things done. Joe Biden was supposed to be, you know, our kumbaya PRESIDENT HERE AND, and, and THE UNITER-IN-CHIEF, AND IT REALLY HASN'T HAPPENED, IT'S GOING TO TAKE MORE THAN JUST ONE PERSON.
0: On the note of Joe Biden or President Biden on the Democratic side, polling shows that over 80% of Americans think Biden is too old to be president. Now, several reports are saying that the State of the Union March 7th is Biden's chance to convince the nation that he isn't too old to run. Now, there are also reports talking about replacing Biden at the convention would be risky and unprecedented. What do you see as the path forward for the Democratic Party? Would they replace him and with whom?
8: Oh, no, the Democratic Party is not replacing Joe Biden for the sole reason that he is outraising Donald Trump right now. Uh, Joe Biden, with his fourth quarter reporting, has $46 million in the bank, and it's climbing exponentially. Uh, he can raise massive amounts of money. Um, and, and that that tells something about—we always hear about an enthusiasm gap with Biden voters, but it's not showing as far as campaign donations go. He's raising a ton of money.
0: Robin Byron, thank yes. you so much for your time. Thank you. With the South Carolina Republican primary coming up this weekend, NTD News will be covering all the action. We'll have a lot prepared for you, including special guests, on-the-ground coverage and more of the Data Hub. Join Steve Lance and myself on The Nation to Science 2024, live tomorrow, February 24th at 6 p.m. Eastern. Today's the second full day of this year's CPAC conference in D.C. Former President Trump got a lot of attention despite the fact that he wasn't even at the conference. NTD's Arian Pasdar has an update.
9: Multiple speakers at CPAC on Friday talked about former President Trump and the many legal battles he's facing. Chairman of the House Judiciary Committee Jim Jordan called what's happening to Trump a perfect example of the weaponization of government.
0: I mean, it started with the spying on his campaign, then it was the Mueller investigation, then it was impeachment, then it was a raid on his home, then it was the 14th Amendment. It's four different, you know, two state cases, the two federal cases, all the indictments. It's, it's gotten
6: ridiculous. But he has a great line, and you've all heard him say it. He says, they're coming after
1: me because I'm fighting for you.
9: Jordan says his committee has subpoenaed Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis. That's regarding her relationship with another prosecutor involved in the case against Trump.
0: Uh, No, we haven't heard back from her yet, we'll see what we get from her, but there's a
9: whistleblower in her office who we have talked to, the committee staff, yeah. South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem spoke on the current state of the U.S. Congress. People from both sides of the aisle say congressional lawmakers aren't tackling the problems the U.S. is facing, such as passing the federal budget, which is becoming more of a problem every year.
0: And you know, to be honest with you, we shouldn't look to Congress for the answers either. The gridlock on Capitol Hill is not going to break in time to save America. We need a president who will. And I have always believed and supported the fact that our next president needs to be President Trump.
9: And former Trump strategist Sebastian Gorka suggests it's admirable that the former president has still decided to run again, despite all the troubles he's facing.
1: He could just go away, get back to his businesses, live a peaceful life, play golf for the rest of his existence.
9: And former President Trump is scheduled to speak at CPAC on Saturday at 1 p.m. Ariane Pastar, NTD News.
0: Coming up, what can political candidates do to appeal to young voters? Our guest says there are certain issues the Republican Party can focus on. Hear her take on the Gen Z vote a former california sheriff removed from social media platform x as he's running for local office and he's pointing the finger at his election opponent the details on that and more after the break welcome back if you're just joining us now here are some today's top headlines Alabama lawmakers introduced a bill to preserve in vitro fertilization treatment after the state Supreme Court ruled that frozen embryos are children. Alabama's attorney general said he won't use the ruling to prosecute IVF patients or providers. And former President Trump voiced support for IVF treatment. In Georgia, Trump's legal team filed a new document that appears to contradict Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade's testimony about the timeline of his relationship with District Attorney Fani Willis. Analysis of cell phone data shows Wade allegedly visited Willis at her condo numerous times before she hired him to work on the Trump election case. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu presented his first official plan for the Gaza Strip once the war ends. The one page document, titled The Day After Hamas, says reconstruction of the enclave can only take place if it's demilitarized. And Israel will keep security control over Gaza and the West Bank. The Biden administration announced new sanctions on Russia, targeting more than 500 individuals and entities. This as Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and fellow Democrat senators visited Ukraine on the eve of the second anniversary of the Russian invasion. Presidential candidates from both parties are doing more to appeal to a younger demographic. How important are Gen Z voters and how can political candidates reach them? Joining us now is Deborah Leah, a Gen Z conservative commentator. Deborah Leah, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show.
5: Thank you. So happy to be on with you.
0: As Trump and Nikki Haley prepare to go head-to-head tomorrow, Nikki Haley has said that it would be a mistake of the GOP to, quote, ignore Gen Z voters. Now, we also saw Trump launching his own sneakers and showing up at SneakerCon on a surprise visit. How important is the Gen Z vote?
5: I think it's extremely important. And for far too long, the Republican Party has neglected to target us. I am a Gen Z voter. I'm very involved in this political election, and I'm trying to get my friends involved as well. But overall, I've done research. I have a degree in government and politics. And it's an extremely important voting block, not only Gen Z, but women specifically. And I really think that they should be doing everything in their power to get these new voters rallying to the polls for a Republican candidate.
0: Now, on the flip side, on the Democratic Party side, we've seen President Joe Biden's campaign join TikTok recently. He also vowed to cancel federal debt for 153,000 borrowers. That would be $1.2 billion. Now, this is despite the Supreme Court ruling last June that Biden's plan of 500 billion student debt forgiveness was unconstitutional. Many are seeing this as a way to target young voters. How successful do you think that will be as a tactic?
5: I really do hope that people see through this and know that their votes can't be bought. But unfortunately, I've also seen the reverse. A lot of people who never loved Trump flocking to his support because of the stimulus checks, people who know nothing about politics, but all they care about is the money in their pocket. But I really think it is unconstitutional. And at this point, the Biden campaign is just throwing anything at the wall, hoping it'll stick. And I really pray that Americans do not make the same mistake they did four years ago.
0: Now, you mentioned how the Gen Z voting bloc is also made up of a lot of women. Now, traditionally, the Republican Party has been known as not targeting women very well. What needs to be done so that they do mobilize that unit?
5: I think just not ignoring them there's a lot of content that's specifically women targeted even Nikki Haley she's not a fan of TikTok she won't get on the app but I have seen countless edits of her from different people and all the comment sections are filled with liberals saying wow would I vote for this republican I think I might and so overall I think it's just having more events maybe networking events maybe even messaging saying you want to be safe walking down the street well the Republican party is the only one that is fighting for your safety we're the only ones that did not defund the police we will not defund the police, We will give you a gun or at least make it easier for you to get a gun permit to defend yourself, gun rights or women's rights, and really just showing women how crime and safety is a huge talking point and a huge problem for this election. And branding that towards women, I think, would do the GOP very well.
0: On that note, there are also reports noting how one-third of young Americans get their news on TikTok, which is known as being more negative on the Republican side. How do you see that fitting into Gen Zers when it comes to voting time? How will they get the news they need?
5: So I have actually firsthand experience with this because I started my career and my social following on TikTok and a lot of Republicans were making fun of me or telling me it was a waste of my time to be on this Chinese app. Why are we even going there? But we know that there's a huge, that is a great way to reach young voters, liberal voters, people who may not be so informed about politics. So I went in, I made the content to try and change people's minds, but Overall, it is pretty scary how many people get their news off of TikTok, and if that's a place they're getting their news, then maybe candidate staffers should be recycling videos and posting it out there because you need to meet people where they are, even if we know that this app is a dangerous app.
0: On that note, when it comes to Gen Z voters, they've only seen three main presidential candidates, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump and Joe Biden, that they could vote for. for. Now, Axios was saying many are choosing not to vote as they want a candidate that's more in line or in tune with their own interests. What do you think needs to be done to really get the younger bloc to come out and vote? I
5: think the messaging that Nikki Haley has worked towards, Donald Trump has done a phenomenal job with this, but just the branding of you want a future, you want to be able to buy a house, you want to be able to protect your family, have a family, be involved in your children's education. Although this may not be the forefront of your issues right now, if we keep going on the path that we're going on, you won't even be able to pull us back out of these holes that we're digging for ourselves, and our future is going to be taken away. I'm 23 years old. It's already extremely difficult. Rent, getting a job that pays the same to match living costs right now. So overall, and I'm very fortunate, so I can't even imagine how many people are struggling right now. So just reminding people, your future is important. We care about your future. Vote with us and we will protect and fight
0: for your future. Deborah Leah, thank you so much for your time.
5: Thank you so much for having me.
0: We have some breaking news. The verdict is in for former longtime CEO of the National Rifle Association, Wayne LaPierre. A jury in New York decided moments ago that he is liable for corruption. The jury found that LaPierre mismanaged and misspent charitable funds from 2014 to 2022 when he was leader of the NRA, and that cost the gun rights group $5.4 million. The jury ordered LaPierre to pay the NRA $4.3 million in damages. New York Attorney General Letitia James brought the case. LaPierre already stepped down. The judge will decide whether to permanently bar him from leading the NRA in an upcoming bench trial. The ex-account of a former Los Angeles County Sheriff who's running for local office has now been suspended. The reason is unclear, but he's putting the blame on his opponent. Former Los Angeles County Sheriff Alex Villanueva
6: has been suspended from social media X. He is running to be on the county's board of supervisors. On February 19th, he created another ex-account and posted a video claiming his opponent, Supervisor Janice Han, is behind it.
3: This is straight dirty
4: politics 101. Someone complained that my account was somehow
2: harassing the incumbent. Imagine that the truth being harassing. Well, we're going to keep harassing
5: with the truth.
6: NTD reached out to Han's office for a comment, but did not hear back by airtime. In a separate post later that day, Villanueva retweeted a post from Elon Musk's definition of content moderation. Villanueva says he agrees with him, but questions why his account is suspended. The reason for the suspension is still unclear. Villanueva had always been at odds with the LA County Board of Supervisors. In 2020, the board sought ways to remove Villanueva over allegations of deputy gangs. Villanueva was later put on a quote, do not rehire list after the sheriff's department categorized him as such, and voters were discouraged from choosing him in the upcoming election. However, he eventually conceded to Robert Luna in the 2022 election for sheriff.
0: Coming up tomorrow is the second anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We speak with a Ukrainian tech entrepreneur who escaped the country just in time. That and more when we come back. Welcome back. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Columbia University, the latest Ivy League institution to come under fire for alleged anti-Semitism on campus since the start of the Israel-Hamas war. One Jewish graduate student is suing the school, saying she was forced out of an academic program after she requested religious and safety accommodations. Entity's Jack Bradley spoke with Brooke Goldstein, director of the Lawfare Project, the firm bringing the lawsuit.
10: So we are very proud to represent a very brave Jewish Jewish student named Mackenzie Forrest in her groundbreaking civil rights lawsuit against Columbia University, which has become an unlawful and horrifically hostile environment on that campus for Jewish students. Especially after October the 7th, Columbia University has seen pro-Hamas protests run rampant throughout the school, even blocking access to some classrooms. The free speech rights of Jewish students are violated at Columbia University. The Jewish students are being physically assaulted, not just verbally, but physically assaulted. One student had his hand broken, and it's intolerable. So we are representing this student because she herself was also victimized by anti-Semitism. And what is so remarkable about this case is that when the school admitted that the campus was not safe for our client, they still refused her the ability to take her classes on Zoom. When taking classes on Zoom, especially after COVID, is something that's routinely accommodated. So we are representing her in this uh, civil rights lawsuit against Columbia University, as well as other lawsuits we have because I believe firmly that impact litigation, civil rights litigation, is the only way that the Jewish community is going to receive equal protection in this country. We are the oldest, most persecuted minority community in human history, and we are in the age of minority rights movement, so the time is now for our our civil rights to be upheld.
4: You know, in Harvard, we're seeing uh, similar lawsuits the president just stepped down uh, after allegations that she that they weren't doing enough to address the anti-Semitism on campus there. Why is it happening on college campuses?
10: Because what we're witnessing is the the greatest, subversive influence campaign that has ever taken place that is being funded by foreign countries such as Qatar which is the second largest state sponsor of terrorism they are the primary sponsor along with Iran of the Hamas terrorist group spent billions and billions of dollars over the last ten years that we know of funding DEI departments diversity equity inclusion behind critical race theory, behind Middle Eastern uh, studies departments, and infecting the schools, not just with anti-Israel rhetoric and ideas, but anti-American and anti-democratic ideas. And they want to destroy this country, and they're doing it from within. And unless there is a major course corrector, and that happens soon, unfortunately, Five years from now, this country is going to look very, very different. So I urge everybody who is watching this program to take this issue seriously. If you have a student on a college campus, it doesn't even have to be an Ivy League school, pay close attention to what they are being
0: taught.
4: Thank you very much for your insight here, Brooke Goldstein, founder of the Lawfare Project.
0: And on the heels of that lawsuit this week, five more Jewish students and two organizations have taken legal action against Columbia and its affiliate Barnard College. The group alleges severe and pervasive anti-Semitism on campus and say the schools aren't doing enough to address the rising hate targeting Jews. Nearing the second anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we hear the story of Ukrainian tech entrepreneur Vladimir Panchenko, who escaped right before the initial attack. He has a message for the American people. NTD's Virginia Gibson has more.
11: Ukrainian tech entrepreneur Vladimir Panchenko relocated all the employees at his firm, D-Market, right before Putin's invasion. D-Market, a marketplace for trading virtual goods. 100 people were working there at the time.
4: I offered uh, to all of them and their immediate uh, families and relatives, and even uh, we uh, took a couple of dogs and cats as well. Uh, just to move away uh, from the front lines for months. And if nothing happens, then we just spend a month uh, somewhere like in a neighboring country. But if it does, which proved to be true, we probably save some lives.
11: DeMarket's employees are now in multiple countries. Panchenko himself came to the US, where he did everything he could to help Ukraine, such as donating money. He watched as many of his friends fought on the front lines, many of them dying in the process. Konchenko hoped the war wouldn't last this long, but having a master's degree in history, he knew it was likely. It takes time to
4: fight the evil. Sometimes it takes time to defend and to safeguard your people, but it has to be done. And I'm grateful for all the support that America has sent. And I'm grateful for all the support, Americans, Uh, are doing uh, for the Ukraine. So that's what I would like to say. Thank you.
11: Panchinko now lives in California with his wife and one-year-old son, Lucas, born in January last year. Panchinko continues donating money and following the news, and he's now working on a secret AI venture he believes could help his native land. Virginia Gibson, NTD News.
0: Today, fire investigators are trying to figure out the exact cause of a deadly apartment building fire. Flames tore through the structure in Eastern Spain yesterday, killing 11 with dozens of people missing. Lauren Anthony has the latest.
12: The blaze spread rapidly, in part due to strong winds that whipped up the flames. But one insurance expert said a contributor might also have been the use of a plastic material on the building's facade. Visiting the scene on Friday, Prime Minister Pedro Sánchez said residents had lost everything in a matter of minutes. Emergency services said the fire started on Thursday evening on the fourth floor of the block in an affluent neighborhood of Spain's third-largest city. Witnesses said the fire took just half an hour to engulf the building in El Campanar. Panicked residents rushed to balconies to plead for help as burning embers fell to the sidewalk below. The building, comprised of two towers linked by what its developers described as a panoramic lift, had several dozen flats. Officials say it was completed in 2008. A 2007 promotional video by the building's developer highlighted the innovative material used to clad the building's exterior, which passed rigorous quality checks. A deadly fire in West London's Grenfell Tower apartment block in 2017 killed an estimated 80 people. The blaze there was caused by an electrical fault, but its rapid spread was blamed on the use of highly flammable external cladding.
0: And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.